welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Hey everybody, welcome. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to find it. If you don't have a Bible, you can. Uh, there are some black ones in the pews in front of you. Um, there are apps you can download. Do you guys know that? Apps with Bibles. You can just have them right on your phone. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'll invite you to turn there. Uh, as you do, I should let you know, um, my name is Micah. I'm the lead pastor here at this little church called Awaken. Glad you're here. We're in a series called Sequitur, which is a, uh, a series we've been doing in the Easter tide. Uh, part of our calendar. So if you're not familiar with the church calendar, there are a number of seasons in it. We are in the season called Eastertide, which is basically where the church lives into or works through the implications of the resurrection, which of course is Easter. We just celebrated that a couple of weeks ago. And if you uh, missed that, you were probably under a rock somewhere. Um, that's a joke. Hey, oh, come on, everybody. It's a sleepy Sunday morning, is it not? It's a little, it's kind of dark in here. Um, first hour was uh, a number of folks just kind of like, hey man, how's it going? Like we lived in Colorado. <laughs> hey now I got gotcha. you. All right, all right, okay. Uh, so sequitur is a logical conclusion or consequence. It's the, the implications of something. And so we're talking about what are the logical implications of Easter and resurrection. And we've talked about we are a forgiven people because of Easter. We are a missional people. We are sent into the world. Last week, we talked about generosity. And truth be told, friends, as I was writing last week's teaching, it grew. And I realized, like, this is two weeks. I couldn't get everything that I wanted to say last week into one sermon. And so it's become a two-part miniseries um, put out to you by Hallmark. <laughs> Do you guys watch Hallmark shows? Man, those are just... They are a trip. Every now and again, I'll find somebody in my house watching Hallmark, and I'm like, can we just stop for a second and recognize what is happening here? <laughs> this is Hallmark. So a two-part miniseries. Um, I once took a road trip to Texas, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, a couple weeks ago, I'm a podcaster, and I downloaded this podcast sermon series called Mastering the Art of Living. And the premise of it was that Christians, this person's take on it, Christians ought to be people who are living like the most full, abundant, wonderful, beautiful, compelling lives around. Because this is what Jesus comes and tells us he's bringing. I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. So that our lives should be the kinds of lives that are most compelling, most interesting, most life-giving, most generative. And so this person, this pastor's take on it was, let's talk about mastering the art of living, following in the way of this Jesus. And so... In that kind of spirit, I think what, what I'm trying to do with generosity is to say that I think that mastering the art of living, if we're going to master the art of living well as Christians, generosity ought to be a part of that. And that was part of what we talked about last week. We learned that generosity is not just dependent upon our finances, but it's, 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 a, it's a lens through which we see the world. It's an assumption we begin with, that everything else funnels through. It's essentially asking the question, which is a gigantic question about the nature of the universe. Is God, in fact, benevolent and abundant, or is there scarcity the norm, where God is holding out on us? And if you remember Genesis chapter 3, the story of Adam and Eve, this is the question that's asked. Did God really say? Which is to say, there's more that you're not getting, and God is holding out on you. 
And so this is generosity conversation. Is a, it's a big one. Is the, the nature of the universe and God benevolent and abundant or is scarcity the norm and you should get yours while you can because there's not enough to go around? My brothers and I had this phrase in our household. It was, the, it was a twist on the golden rule. It was do unto others quick before they do it to you. <laughs> That's this. Not abundant, not benevolent, Right? So I would argue, and I think the scriptures argue, and I think Jesus argues quite convincingly that generosity, abundance, benevolence is, is, is actually the nature of the universe and actually the very heart of God. And so to follow in that flow, to be invited into that flow is to be people who are generous. Are you with me now? So we're going to keep going and we're going to keep uh, digging a little bit deeper. And so today I actually want to talk about money and I want to talk about Awaken in particular. Um, this is a sermon that's intended or aimed at those who call Awaken home and those who follow Jesus. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, I don't apply to either of those, so why am I here? I would say, H that T, hold that thought before you bounce out. Um, I think that actually this could apply to you. Um, if you follow Jesus and you just do it somewhere else, this absolutely applies to you, and I would say you're going to need to do a little translating. And even if you don't follow Jesus... I think that this wisdom actually supersedes whether or not what your, your convictions about Jesus and whether or not he was real, rose from the dead, so on and so forth. I think that this is actually worth listening to even if you don't follow Jesus. So I would ask you to do a little bit of translating as well before we do this, okay? So I'm going to start with my ending in mind. This is my one challenge that I would give to you today, and then we'll sort of tease that out, but I want to begin with it, and it's this. My challenge to you would be to find a spiritual home you can believe in, and with a portion of your resources, help fund its mission and vision. So find a spiritual home, a church, a community that you believe in, whether it's Awaken or somewhere else. And then the challenge is, the invitation is, take a portion of your resources, the paycheck that you make, and help fund its mission and vision. Now, why would I say this? First and foremost, if you didn't know, most churches are nonprofit organizations. They're voluntary organizations, which means that we don't sell anything at the market. We don't have a trinket that we make downstairs in the basement. We have no elves behind the curtain. There is no Wizard of Oz. There's no product that's being produced that we sell in the market, which means that why we exist or the mission to which we exist or intend to be moving towards only happens insofar as the people who call it home say yes to it and help fund it, right? Now, there's all kinds of interesting conversations about social entrepreneurship and projects that faith communities are taking on to help make a profit to fund mission, and we're actually talking about some of those things. I had this brilliant idea that we should buy that little cafe that was defunct over here on the corner, and now some wonderful restaurateur who owns a whole bunch of other restaurants in St. Paul has bought it and makes lovely donuts and Italian food. I have good ideas, guys. I'm telling you, I'm just saying. I'm kidding. A little bit, but... Um, <laughs> When I, he called me, actually. He's like, yeah, my name's Tim Niver. I'm a, a restaurant here. I've opened a few restaurants, and I need to call the businesses in the local neighborhood to kind of get them to sign off on. So are you the owner of the building? And so we had a long chat about if he, if he had good food and really good beverages, I would sign his deal. I, so I, I think he's lived up to it. Um, but what this means, then, for us as a nonprofit, right, we don't have anything to sell, vision and mission is critical, why we exist and what's at the center of what we do becomes absolutely essential. It's critical because if you don't buy it, if you don't believe it, if you're not willing to sort of give to it, if your life hasn't been impacted by it, then it doesn't happen. So we either need to find one that does compel people because people don't give to programs, I would argue. 
People give to vision. They give to something that's compelling, that's changed their experience or their life or done something that's helped them live a better life as a follower of Jesus. We believe God's given us a specific vision and a mission at Awaken. And if you've never heard it before, I'll say it for you. If you're in the partnership class, you should be able to stand up right now and just recite it. So who's going to do that? Here it is, friends. Awaken exists. This is why we're here to be in partnership with God in the renewal of all things by demonstrating and announcing the way of Jesus in the world. So at like 50,000 feet, the reason this church is here is to say we want to respond to the invitation we feel God's given. This is missional two weeks ago. To be in partnership with God, yes, to God's invite, and we do that by demonstrating and announcing the way of Jesus in the world. So everything that we do funnels through this, all right? Now, why am I encouraging you to take a portion of your resources and help fund a local church's vision and mission? Why would I do that? A couple of things, and then we'll jump into 2 Corinthians. How you spend your money is a reflection of your heart. What you do with your resources, the, the way that people would always say, like, if you want to know what somebody values, just look at their checkbook. Jesus himself says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and, and, and where your heart is, your, or your treasure is, your heart will be also. So Jesus says that essentially there's something about the very essence of who we are, the center, our hearts, and what we speak and how we spend our money or where our treasure is, our heart will be also. So how you spend your resources, and I can't say it any more clearly than this, how you spend your money is a direct reflection of your heart. Now that might be uh, encouraging to some of you and a little indicting to others. I don't know where that lands. And I'll I'll just pause for one moment. Tea, time out. Do you guys remember Shakespeare? This is an aside. I'm your pastor, and I love you. And anything that I say today comes from a heart of love, not of judgment or guilt or shame. Oftentimes when this teaching happens in the church, it comes from guilt and shame and judgment. Can I get an amen? Have you ever been in that sermon? Okay, so that's not what I'm doing. I actually believe this is the best way to live life, okay? So everything that I say today comes from that. Are you with me? Okay, time it back in. Pause, play. Um, How you spend your money is a direct reflection of your heart. Also, God has gone all in and invites us to do the same. How many of you were here at game night last night? Yeah, a couple of people. Michaela Vetter organized a little game night for us. This is the gator chomp for any Florida people in the room. We were talking, it was a great night. We had like 70-some people downstairs playing board games, you guys. Like, no video games, no phones. It was just awesome. Cribbage, rummy cube, sequence. Right, you like that? That's what I'm talking. But we did say there was no poker table. So maybe next time we're going to have a poker table. Because God has gone all in. God's got pocket aces here, guys. That went about as well as it did first hour, but I think it is, I thought it was good, and so I just went for it anyhow. Here's my point. In Jesus, God has gone all in. There is nothing left in the bank on this one. God has essentially said, I am all in for humanity to the degree that I will sacrifice my own life in Jesus and resurrect from the dead and and bring this whole thing together in Jesus. And then God essentially says, follow me. Jesus says, follow me on this path. If God is all in, then I would suggest God expects us to be all in with our passion, our time, our resources, holding nothing back. This is, by the way, what the church or religious people say when they say Jesus is Lord. That's essentially what we're talking about, where everything is surrendered in my life. Everything is surrendered to Jesus' way of being human, and I am participating in the kingdom of God coming to earth as it is in heaven. 
This is Jesus' prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As if to say, God, bring your domain here. Bring what you hope and dream for the world. Make it real here. So to say Jesus is Lord is to say that everything that I have is surrendered to Jesus' way of being human and that I'm participating in the kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven. To say Jesus is Lord. And then I would say also, I'm inviting you to keep your hands open to both receive and give. There's this great passage in Ecclesiastes where the, the wisdom writer gives this picture of what it looks like to be in relationship to stuff. And he says this, Fools fold their hands, right? They check out. They kind of do, the, do this kind of deal. A fool folds their hands and they ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility. And the picture is like an open hand. Literally, the Hebrew, the, the, the imagery around the word is an open hand. So better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil, grasping with toil, the wisdom writer says. This is a better way to live, is essentially what the writer says. So that's why I'm encouraging you to do this. Now, what does this look like specifically? If you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians 9, I'll invite you to stand. That was a long intro. I I, I get it. 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 1. Paul says this. By the way, he's writing to the Corinthian church. There's There's an offering going back to Jerusalem, and there's another church in Macedonia that he's talking, he's in conversation with. Okay, that's the context. Here we go. There's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year in uh, in Achaia, you were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance to finish the arrangements for the generous gift that you promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift and not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your own heart, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's the kind of life I want. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, and their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the righteousness of your harvest. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous in every action or on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. We talked about that last week. The gospel story is told. And for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Listen to what Paul finishes the whole conversation about giving with. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Pray with me. God, as we open this story and this text, and hopefully, uh, I hope, our hearts a little bit to who you are and what you're doing, that you might speak uh, a word of encouragement, a word of uh, 
challenge to some of us maybe to think differently about our money uh, in a way that maybe we haven't before. So Holy Spirit, um, be with us, I pray, that you would just cover this time that we have together, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you and would come from a place of grace and of uh, love for this community that you've called together. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So gang, this passage that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is a giant conversation about generosity. And we could spend weeks and months dissecting it and sort of teasing things out. It's beautiful, beautiful. I want to I offer four thoughts this morning. And this is, um, these are four values that we would say, when you decide to find a community that you can help fund the, the mission and vision of, here's what it might look like for you to do it. Um, these are some of the values that should drive it, and they come from this passage in 2 Corinthians. So first and foremost, I would say, sacrificially. When you give, I want to invite you to give with sacrifice or to give sacrificially. If you look at this group of people in Macedonia that Paul's talking about, these people like buckled down in order to give. Paul says at another point that they didn't have much, but they gave over and above what they, he thought they could give because they were so compelled and joy welled up so much so in them that they, they said, don't leave us out of this opportunity to give to what God's doing. They, they wanted to be a part of it, and they did so sacrificially. For them, and I would invite for you, it was an act of worship. Now, in the Bible, whenever you have a conversation about worship, all the way back from the beginning in, in, in uh, uh, Genesis and then following in Deuteronomy and Leviticus with the Israelites, it's always a conversation about sacrifice. God's people, the very, the very act of worship that they participated in in the Old Testament was built around a sacrificial system. And so the worship of God's people was always about sacrifice, which is why Paul in Romans says, therefore, offer your own lives, your bodies as a sacrifice, for this is your spiritual act of what? Worship. Paul connects worship and sacrifice because a conversation about sacrifice is a conversation about worship. And a conversation about worship is a conversation about sacrifice. It's asking the question, am I willing to give up something that is valuable to me in response to and out of love for, in this case, God? So what does it mean for you to think about your own resources, what's in your hands, and to give something out of sacrifice and out of worship. The, the challenge here is this. Live from a place where you have to depend that God is good and abundant and, grace, and gracious, right? Instead of gathering up as much as you need and a little more and then giving from the extra, the invite is to give to the degree that you have to depend on God's provision. You see, this is bonkers. Every economics class would say, don't do that. It doesn't make any sense. No business would make it if you ran by this principle. Do you see what, we're, what I'm fighting, what I think we're fighting against and what I'm challenging you? It doesn't make sense. It's the opposite of what our culture and the world that we live in is asking you to do. But I want to challenge you to live from a place where it costs you something. Not because the church needs to be funded, but because I actually believe that when you live from this place, it's generative. Did you hear that pat, the part about uh, God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It generates life. It moves stuff. It creates things in the world. This is not a zero-sum game. The culture that we live in, where it's get yours while you can, is a zero-sum game. Nobody wins in the end. 
So I want to invite you to give to the degree that it's sacrificial and that it's out of a place of worship where it's in response to what God has done, something else happens. All right? So first, sacrificial. Second, proportionate. Now, you'll never hear me, and I hope you'll never hear anybody from this platform, I have less control of that than I do, you'll never hear me, say to you, you should give X percent. Sometimes when people come to church, they assume that the pastor's going to say, oh, you should give this percentage of money, dot, 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 in order to be like in good standing and so that you get the flyers and the invites to the potlucks. <laughs> this is a giant exercise in missing the point. Giant exercise in missing the point. For some of you this morning, to give 5% of your income would seriously strap you. For some of you, you could write a check for 15% of your income and it wouldn't, you wouldn't blink. So that's not the point, how much are you giving. The point is, verse 12, chapter 8, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Paul says in another place, each gave out of their own. They decided in their own heart what they would give. So I would encourage you this morning, go back to wherever it is you go back to and you meet with God, if that's in a room or if it's driving or if it's out in the hillsides, sit for a moment and pause. Uh, sometimes for me, I actually try to imagine it. While we were singing earlier, I can see you now, I can see the love in your eyes. I have this little spot on a river in Colorado that I fly fished at with this beautiful little meadow part that comes around and Jesus is usually He's fishing, and then I come across the bridge, and I sit there, and he comes and hangs out with me. How crazy is that? That's my spot. So go to your spot, whatever it is, and, and just hold your hands out and say, God, here is my life. Here are my finances. What would you have me give? This is a, com this is a spiritual conversation that you have between you, your spouse, if you have one, whoever it is you do life with, and the Lord. And whatever you feel the Lord is leading you to, I would say follow that. Now, if you've been faithful for, <clears throat> for a long, long time, then the, qu the question is, okay, how do I, can, we, can, we, can we give one more percent? And, right? It's not how much can we amass and how much can we gather, but how much can we give away in the name of Jesus? So give proportionately, not necessarily connected to a number, but whatever you decide between you and the Lord. Sacrificial, proportionate, and then I would say cheerful. <clears throat> Why is it important that you give with a cheerful heart, with a glad heart? That's a guy, I read it, it's in there, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, God loves a cheerful giver. Friends, if you, most, most boards at churches tell their pastors, do not say this. I don't work for that church. <clears throat> I would say to you, if you can't give with a glad heart where it's out of joy and generosity that's welling up in you, and that's where it comes from, if you, if you feel like you have to give out of duty or obligation or shame or guilt, don't give. We don't want your money, and I would suggest God doesn't want your money. That's not the point. Have you ever had to tell a kid, like, when they get in trouble with their brother or sister, and you're like, you need to tell them you're sorry? You ever done that before? Yeah, okay, parents, we've done this if, you, if you've been there. I was thinking about that for a moment, and then I'm like, what are we asking them to do? You need to, whether you feel it or not, right, if you feel sorrow or not, you need to tell your sister that you're sorry, even if you don't believe it. That's the ask, Right? Now, hopefully, you do believe it, and it is, it is true. It is con it, it, it's congruent with what you feel. But, I mean, I know my kids, and I know myself. Most of the time, I'm not, right? <laughs> Maybe they're not. So sometimes I say to my kids, you need to tell your sister, I shouldn't have done that. That's true. 
Whether you feel sorry, you can, you can adjust, you can tell them you're sorry if you're sorry, but I would like you to tell your sister that I should not have done that. If you give out of guilt and shame or duty or obligation, you've missed the point. It is a giant exercise in missing the point. Don't give. God loves a cheerful giver. Our gift ought to be, it should be, welling up out in us and it should come from that place of joy and that place of generosity. If it's duty and guilt and shame, we've missed it totally. And I'll put some of that on us and some of that on you. Cheerful, with joy. Sacrificial, proportionate, cheerful. And then the fourth one is this. Committed and regular. Now, this is a conversation about community. And we like to have lots of conversations about being in community. I just talked to somebody the other day. They're like, we moved from here to there because there was no community there and we wanted it here. And we want to be in relationship. We want to be in community. We want to be connected to other people. And this is a very hot conversation among churches, right? We want to try to cultivate community. And what does that look like? But oftentimes, it, it comes without the recognition that by the nature of community, it's a binding relational situation. Community does not happen when it flows in one direction. That's called consumption. That's not community. So when you are a part of something, and you go and you experience something, and you, 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 whether whatever it is, right, but there's, no, there's nothing going back, that's not community, that's consuming something. And we always say it, we are not about religious goods and services being consumed. That's not what we're doing here. So community is a relationship that we have to one another in service of or in belief of this mission and vision that we believe God's given this church. You tracking? So when we say, we, when I invite you, I'd like you to consider finding a home church and giving a portion of your resources to fund its mission and vision, I would invite you to do it committed and regular because we're in relationship with one another. And I will never ask you to do something that I myself am not doing and that our leadership doesn't do. I forgot to say this first hour. This is an important one. So nobody who stands up here from the advisory team or who serves on our core team isn't doing this in some way, shape, or form and leading the way. So I would suggest, what does it mean for you to give committed and regular? There was this band I used to listen to in college. It was called Shaded Red. Yeah. Hot. Really, really. You can imagine this band, and everything you might imagine is probably true. Shaded Red, they had a, they had a, band, uh, a song called Faker. It's Faker, and you know it, you got it all down. I used to change the words. You're a taker, and you know it. Has anybody ever been in a relationship with somebody like that? Where they just take? Gosh, that's exhausting, isn't it? That is the opposite of what the kingdom looks like. That's the antithesis of what the kingdom of God looks like and community looks like. So I want to I wanna just remember my little aside, right? Remember that? Now, friends, if you call awake and home, I want to invite you to put skin in the game, to get involved in our life as a community because we are in relationship with one another in service to the mission and vision that God has given this community and this church. So that may mean that you serve in some way. It may mean that you give, maybe for the first time, a portion of your income as an act of worship if you're 65 or 15, doesn't matter. It's an invitation, and I think it's an exhortation in some ways, as a pastor. And I feel like 
this is something that I want to be a part of our culture and our, our DNA at Awaken, and I, regrettably, I don't know that I've done the best job of talking about it enough, because if it's a part of our culture and our DNA, we talk about it more. And so that's part of what drew me to say, this is a two-part series, not a one-part series. I want to invite you to get involved, to give of your time and your talent and your possession. Give to something that captures your heart. Give to something that you can't do on your own. Give to something that you have to be connected to other people to in order for it to happen. That's community. That's depending and trusting on God. That's the invitation this morning. Why? Well, ultimately, back to where I began, mastering the art of living. I actually think that this way of being human is better than the other option. That generosity and abundance and benevolence is the nature of God and the very nature of the heart of God and the universe that we live in. And to live in that flow generates life. So, here's a gentle, maybe a little more than gentle, invitation to you. As the community of people who call themselves awaken, and if you go elsewhere, I would encourage you to take this back to where you worship. It's no different there. It's just the New Testament church. That's the invite. So what does it mean for you to consider giving proportionately, sacrificially, cheerfully, regularly committed to a body of faith that you believe in to help fund its mission and vision, to move it forward? To have, and gang, at the annual meeting, I'm so excited about the stuff that we're going to share about, the things that we feel God's doing, and the things that are moving out from this place. It's fantastic. It's good stuff. The good news of the gospel is shared, and it moves, and it happens when generosity is the norm. Amen? Last story, and then I promise, you guys, there's no service after you, so it's too bad. You should come to first hour, because I have a time limit. On this one, I just keep going. So, okay, Laura and I, we are like in the middle of doing ministry, like we're raising our kids, and it is just mayhem. It's pandelirium at the Witham House. We feel like the walls are closing in on us, like the, the sun is not going to rise tomorrow. Have you ever been to that place before? Okay, so it's one of those moments, and we, I, I'm like, like, actually, we call it a funk, and it's, it's, we know it's happening when we find me on the, laying on the kitchen floor. Now, not like crying or, or like, you know, wailing or anything, but when I just, when I just feel like I, I, all I can do is lie down on the kitchen floor, we're there. And we were there, friends. It was bleak. So we go out one afternoon, and, uh, and we had window boxes in the front. It was so bad that, like, we wanted to plant plants in these window boxes, and it was like time and all kinds of other things were, t- were taking it up, and we just couldn't get to the window boxes. And so we drive, we go somewhere, and we come home, and the kids are fighting in the back, and we drive down Newton Avenue, we turn into 6438, and what is in front of me but like the most, the most beautiful display of flowers you have ever seen in a window box by our dear friends who knew us, who were in community with us, who just decided out of the generosity of their own hearts to say, we love the Withams and we love you and we love what you're doing and we want you to be encouraged. And so Grace showed up in a window box. The gospel story was told by Gerber Daisies. When you live from a place of generosity, the good news of Jesus is actually good news. Come on, church. All right? Now, I'm done. That's all I've got. I'm going to save that because I need it. That's done. <laughs> we're going uh, to celebrate communion today. What a better day to celebrate communion, this gift of God that shows up in bread and wine. So uh, here's how this is going to work. In a moment, 
Uh, we'll have a time of silence. We believe that God speaks through silence, so we'll, we'll leave some space for that. And after which, uh, if there are any kids in the room, if you guys want to come up first, uh, we do a blessing with honey if you uh, aren't doing bread and, and juice today. And we'll say, may the word of God be like honey on your lips. If there are none of the kids, you guys just follow him. Come up the center aisle, peel to the right and the left. There is red wine, white grape juice. We'll invite you to take off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. Let me offer a word of prayer, time of silence. God, as we take a few moments this morning and reflect on the nature of who you are, the very nature of the universe that we live in, I pray that you would make it crystal clear that the words of my mouth, the offerings that I have given today and last week, God, that, that they're in line with who you are, that you are a generous and benevolent and abundant source from which there is no end. And we have been invited to participate, to partake in, and to live in that flow. So whatever that looks like, God, in this next moment of silence, bring it to, bring it to the fore, bring it to the front of our minds, help us to see it. Help us to have the courage to step towards it in faith, I pray. Holy Spirit, come, speak to us. God, would you seal what's been spoken over us and in us today, I pray. Uh, may, we, may we have the courage to move towards it. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.